0: So, what does one say at the end of an Insight Dialogue retreat? Congratulations, you made it. Yes. <laughs> that, would be that was what? That would be appropriate. Yeah, that would be appropriate. Yeah. Well, thank you for your tolerance of, uh, you know, wherever our teaching was messy or unskillful. Um, we really appreciate your your diligence and your work we It's actually you know a whole other way of understanding certainly meditation uh, another way of understanding the process of unfolding and disentangling the mind, but it has its deepest roots in uh, the same Dhamma, the same Buddhist teachings, and it has its roots in the depth meditation practices that many of you know so well. We think of it really as a broadening of insight meditation, of Vipassana and as part of a integrated path, a path that completely includes and enfolds human relationality, but doesn't leave out the individual practice. It's not separate. I hope you could see that. I hope you could more than that feel that, that the development of mindfulness, whether in silence or with another person, can continue, and with skillful practice and diligence, these things can move together, the relational and individual practice, to perhaps quite some depth. And on retreat, insight dialogue retreat, where you're held in the container of noble silence, residential retreat, so you're meditating from say 6.30 in the morning till nine at night or so, continuous practice, and the mind can become steadier, more quiet, the mind can get brighter, and all of the um, initial things that you probably felt in sitting in front of another person that was so almost confrontational, really difficult, we understand that. Those things, the sensitivity is still there, but the shock is not. And from that sensitivity comes actually a refinement of the sati and samadhi, of the mindfulness and concentration, a steadying of the mind rather than a throwing it off base. So it 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 recruits this. Um, profound responsiveness to other people that over the course of evolution was baked into our brain structure, our cells, our hormones, baked into over the course of this life, our entire psychology. And it puts it in service of the factors of awakening, of mindfulness, investigation, energy, joy, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. And those factors, those factors of awakening, these seven factors of awakening that the Buddha named, he puts things together in his teachings one sees over the years uh, for a reason the way things work together when he groups things you know some people are quite uh, amused or dismissive of these lists in the early Buddhist teachings but when you really look at how those things are grouped why they're grouped you see something you see many things quite profound and in the case of the factors of awakening these qualities work together in such a way that when they are in balance and as they grow stronger and stronger, the penetrating quality, the enduring quality of the lucidity of mind is exactly the conditions for cutting through the delusions that the brain, the mind, the body, the hungers that push us, they lose their power, so these factors of awakening are really important. We cultivate them together and they get stronger. Typically we think this is where they get weaker is when we meet another person and it's so stimulating how could we actually become concentrated it's so distracting how could we be mindful and so on so this is part of the practice of insight dialogue is bringing those together in such a way that they grow and that they are in service of the cultivation of meditative qualities. Over the years, as I've been watching at these retreats, these Insight Dialogue retreats that I've been teaching for almost two decades now, and that Mary and other teachers have been teaching for over a decade, I've been noticing that there's such profound, Experiences touched and such an accelerated and powerful quality of meditative states and a kind of a living understanding of Dhamma, of teachings, of wisdom. And I continue to be surprised. Why is this happening? What's going on here? and any, every time I thought I understood the next retreat would actually be deeper and it kept happening I said oh this must be a really special retreat what happened this time and then not only would it happen again the next retreat would be deeper in the sense of more experiences of unbinding steadier practice, deeper insights. And being a a curious sort, I was always trying to figure out what is going on here. I knew that there was more wisdom in the room than I was bringing to it. I couldn't take credit. And I certainly couldn't take credit for people's meditative development that seemed to be coming forward. And over time, patterns began to emerge that I began to put together that I'd like to share with you now in the hopes that it will help understand what is this practice, what isn't, insight dialogue. And maybe something of... Can you come closer? Let's move up maybe something of why is it working so well you know what what is going on here just trying to answer that question and the pattern that emerged and of course this is not spoken as a truth just an observation that might have some use is that there's three factors of at work each one of them by itself is extremely powerful in its impact on the body-mind its impact on the unbinding and when those factors work together in pairs it gets even more powerful there's a synergy where one plus one is more than two. But when all three of these factors come together, it's, uh, it's insight dialogue, you know? And those factors are the meditative qualities of the mind, relationship, and wisdom, or Dhamma. So let's look at those just for a moment, just briefly, individually. The meditative qualities of the mind we already touched, right? The kind of paradigmatic definition of those or parsing out of those is the factors of awakening. Mindfulness, investigation, energy, joy or rapture, tranquility, concentration and equanimity so without any other stuff going on in your life if you just cultivate even just mindfulness it's going to make a difference it's going to change your life in a positive way if you develop a high level of concentration it will be powerful in and of itself This is also true of equanimity. It's true of tranquility. It's true of energy and rapture and investigation. And when within this, just the meditative qualities of the mind, as those all work together, those seven qualities, they synergize each other. Maybe don't look at those yet. It will just distract you, please. That those qualities will allow us a, fr- a seeing that frees just by virtue of the power of the mind to be free from its own fabrications, to see things as they are by themselves. So we'll take as our next example the wisdom or the Dhamma, okay? there's certain there's a certain power in root wisdom like seminal wisdom that when it touches the mind and really gets in even if there's no meditation practice or anything else it changes, it frees so for example If you really come to some direct experience, if you investigate, explore, let's say, impermanence, and you really stay with it, that one piece of truth will allow a releasing of tremendous grasping and clinging, because you know everything's transient. That's one example. Another example, might be the Buddhist teaching on Tanha, or craving, thirst. When you begin to, for example, look at the hunger to exist, to become, to be something, to be seen, to make something of yourself, to protect the ego, to uh, build up and constantly feed a sense of self, and you begin to just look at that hunger, is it present, is it not, what is it, what are the qualities? It begins to free you or the hunger to get out that reveals the urge to escape from life, the urge to escape from people looking at you or being around you or you're just too sensitive to the world and you begin to see where that's manifesting that bhava and vibhava, the grabbing and hungering to exist and the urge to get out and all the addictions and all the ways we hide, all the way we put up persona and protect ourselves. Just knowing and seeing that without meditation practice is powerful. And many other aspects of wisdom. I mean the Buddha gave thousands and thousands of discourses and that by itself is can be freeing and now let's take the third example, the third base of insight dialogue which is relationship and here we have something different. because we know how powerful relationship is in our lives we know how it's you know brings forth the possibility of the expression and the manifesting of love of compassion of altruism of care we know the joy and energy it can bring us the thing about relationship is it goes either way because we also know that it can create tremendous anger fear, hatred it's the basis of war, of power conflict and we could go on and on, you know. So relationship has tremendous power in our lives. Maybe for the good, maybe not. But the fact is by itself, it's a big factor. A potent factor so let's look at how some of these synergize with each other so where you have the overlap of the meditative qualities of the mind and wisdom what happens at that intersection if you're cultivating both of them well what you have there is the traditional dhamma environment meditation teachings and as you deepen in your meditation practice and you're given good teachings, the teachings draw the meditation down and guide the teachings, guide the meditation and the wisdom as it grows strengthens the meditation, the meditation strengthens the wisdom and one begins to touch extraordinary insight because the mind is so sharp in its meditative qualities that all the wisdom element has to do is say have a look over here that's all not this is true you better believe it by faith just have a look over here somewhere you might not have looked without the guidance of the Buddha right you may discover something like impermanence on your own as practice gets deeper certain things that's not true unless you're a Buddha you know I mean unless you have let's say years of practice or proper conditioning behind this lifetime or whatever so the wisdom accelerates the development of meditation the meditation accelerates and deepens the development of wisdom so let's take another pair let's say the meditative qualities of the mind and relationship so you've been experiencing an inside dialogue what happens when we agree together to cultivate mindfulness where you remind me and I remind you. And where I might really drift off sitting alone in meditation, I frequently hear and have heard for years people saying, I can't believe it. In this practice, one day into retreat, and I was like right there because to not be there like, wouldn't be nice. You know, It wouldn't be being with the other person held me there in mindfulness in the moment observing their own experience or the between right what about how relationship might support the meditative quality of investigation well you've been doing that here imagine if you had just been sitting alone and been asked to explore equanimity or been asked to explore your roles the development of the self in life. Your mind would have wandered after, what, 30 seconds? 40? Five seconds. We got a good, honest guy here, right? But you go and you investigate together and you're hearing what you've never heard from the other that you might not have touched on your own and in order to express To the other, what you have apprehended, you have to find and clarify, what is this? You have to, in order to speak it and put language around it, a different quality of clarification is required and called forth of you. So the wisdom element, the meditative element of investigation, rather, is being enhanced by the relational experience or energy. Maybe you've experienced this in your retreat here, your couple of days of non-residential retreat. Perhaps you noticed that you could stay with the practice longer, or that you could really be persistent and diligent in coming back again and again to the pause. Or what about the quality of tranquility? In relationship, if nothing else, when there's the development of safety, when you feel rested in compassion, when you feel that the hungers can can just be released for a while and you can be with another, does the body-mind calm down in that? I see it happening all over the place. That's very inspiring, and so on. So the meditative qualities are enhanced by the relational, but look also, maybe you've experienced something of this on retreat, were the relational qualities enhanced by being with someone in meditation? Right? Any quality of presence or intimacy, any quality of loving kindness or compassion that might naturally arise as the mind gets bright and calm and available to experience so the meditative qualities synergistically feed back into the relational qualities so there's these relational factors of awakening that I've named I won't go into them now they're on the sheet that you have that work very much like the traditional factors of awakening, when they're present and as they come together, the practice strengthens. So let's look at another pair, finally, the last pair, wisdom and relationship, right? So here you have, again, like we were just touching, the quality of investigation with another. But also, just in seeing the impermanence, seeing the suffering in front of you and in yourself, seeing the facts of this being human. This is what I'm calling wisdom anyway. The nature of the human experience in depth, seen into, is what I'm referring to as wisdom. Liberating wisdom, not something about, oh, he's a a wise um, carpenter or, you know, I don't know what your example would be. So that quality of being in relationship and investigating together the nature of things, again, works both ways. When you touch together the shared human experience, when you touch together the impermanence and suffering, what happens to the quality of relationship in that moment? So again, we have a synergy. And at the intersection of all three of the meditative qualities, the Dhamma, and relationship, we have the practice of insight dialogue. Where these pairs of synergizing powerful factors kind of all cycle together and can get very bright, strong, and wholesome, rested in a quality of ethics, rested in a quality of perseverance, of patience, and so on. And in watching practice as this S- schema emerged that I'm sharing with you now and I ask sort of questions what's happening here where is this retreat strong what's needed to bring forward more of you know if it's if I see that the there's a lot of relational joy but that the meditative qualities aren't so strong bring up the pause bring up the relax and open right And if the dhamma element, the wisdom element, is not so strong, give more of the contemplation. Let let the dhamma do its work. Let the the wisdom element really work inside your heart. And perhaps then, when that strengthens, we can move back into strengthening the meditative qualities and begin to move, let that synergy unfold. One of the things that uh, comes out of this is that wherever there aren't all three of these bases of inside dialogue, it's not inside dialogue. And a lot of people say to me things like, uh, we're doing vipassana out loud, right? So just nothing but noting the breath together or something like that, but no dhamma element. It's not inside dialogue. Or they'll say, we're sitting in meditation together, developing mindfulness and being in relationship, and it's just so deep, it's so wonderful. And it is. But without the power of the Dhamma guiding it, moving it, accelerating it, deepening it, keeping it on the rails, it's not inside dialogue and there's lots of relational practices that bring together that kind of you know, being with another and uh, the letting the, the fire, if you will, of being with another uh, bring about a certain kind of uh, experience which can be quite exhilarating. But what keeps it on track? What keeps it ethical? What keeps it oriented to wisdom instead of a greed for experience? What keeps it oriented towards unbinding, towards liberation, rather than just another um, kind of great thing that you did, like a bungee jump? You know, I mean, really, you know? You can have all kinds of fancy experiences, but when I see people in practice, like, you know, lost in the gaze, and it's like, wow. Where's the wisdom element, guys, right? It's nice to have the sort of a bath where those two of meditation and relationship come together. But that's where you bring in the wisdom and let it work its power. If all you want is pleasure, fine, you'll have it temporarily, it's not hard to do. So looking for all of those qualities, you can say this is insight dialogue, this isn't. And um, It also kind of reveals in places where only two intersect or something, there's ways of understanding, I think it sheds light on the nature of Sangha, of community, right? What's strong in community? Well, in one community you see there's a real strong uh, orientation around Dhamma, like Dhamma study and all this kind of thing, but relationship piece might be kind of weak, And even the meditative element. It might be like an academic, almost like a study group. So there you have one element, and just a little bit of relationship, because you have to, right? Uh, Or just the meditative element. You can have a sangha, people go and sit, completely quiet, don't talk to each other, no dhamma, no nothing, they go home. There's plenty of those, right? Or just the relationship element. That's the kind of the tea and cookies sangha. Right? And, you know, the Dhamma's not brought forward. The meditation stuff kind of uh, also ran, you know, not very important. Uh, but the relationship stuff is good. They have fun. It feels good. It supports this life, like uh, uh, some traditional religious organizations, institutions really do that well, really do it well. But where's, where's the wisdom? Where's the meditative qualities? And then there can be different proportions, you know? Maybe there's good Dhamma and good meditation, which would be a typical, let's say, Vipassana group, a good, typical good Vipassana group, but relationship not so strong. And even where all three are present, good relationship, good meditation element, good Dhamma element, but they don't come together at once, which means, especially, that you don't have a relational meditation practice, which means there's always this kind of schism where when I'm with you, when I'm with another, I'm not in practice. It's like a tacit uh, part of our understanding of meditation, that this actual unbinding that is so precious in, 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 in the Buddha's teachings is not unfolding now. But it is. It could. Could be. So looking at that might be also helpful in terms of your own life personally, or the Sangha that you're part of, or not part of, and certainly in your assessment of what's inside dialogue and what's not inside dialogue. Sometimes when people inquire about, for example, I want to bring this into my therapy practice, or I want to bring this into my work, well, you really going to bring the Dhamma into your therapy practice? Great, totally great. But ask yourself, are you doing that? Not just pausing. Right? Pausing is great. It's got the relational, it's got the meditative. Where's the Dhamma? You can ask yourself these questions. And then the sort of the avenue of where this moves into your life and through your life might have a few useful markers on it. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.